Nobody in my family is a Christian. I'm sorry about that. Have you tried talking to them? Yeah, I was going to tell my sister about Jesus one time, and she was downstairs using the computer. So I went down and I was going to tell her about Jesus, but all that came out was, can I use the computer? I have a Bible verse about that. Would you like me to go get it? Yeah, that'd be a great help. Adrian! Did you hear that Kevin just wrecked his brand new Honda? No! Oh man, he had it coming! I knew this was gonna happen! He so deserved it. He is a terrible driver. He is awful. I think it's a bunch of when he bought that car. All he did was talk about that car all the time. It was ridiculous. I'm glad. I hear you on that one, uh huh? Well, anyway, I have that Bible verse for you 2 Timothy 4 2. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Okay. Amen. Hey, we're in the book of James, and go ahead and turn there to chapter 1, verse 19. 19, That's right. Uh, Verse 19, let's grab the context there. So we take a look once again at the book of James, or James Yakubas, that's right. And uh, let's go ahead and take a look at the context there before we get into it once again. And uh, James, of course, was written by James, you guys, one for one, you're doing good. Uh, Yeah, okay, Bobby's math. We'll be praying for him later, or now if you'd like to, but we don't have time. Uh, James chapter 1, verse 19, let's read uh, the context through 22, even though we're probably going to deal with, once again, three times in a row, verse 19, as we take a look, Lord willing, at the third aspect of what you can expect uh, from a true Christian and how they handle God's word. But let's take a look at the context there. Verse 19, uh, here's what he says, my, my dear brothers, take note of this. Now again, as we saw that, that phrase there, take note of this, what is he saying? Pay attention, this is serious stuff. Okay, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and what? Slow to become angry. Why? Because man's anger does not bring about the righteous light that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you which can uh, can save you. Do not merely listen to the word, and so what? There it is again, that word, deceive yourselves. You need to do what it says. Again, as we're seeing in our book of James study, uh, it is one big giant acid test. For the early church, the context of the writing of this letter, it's probably, most likely, as we can decipher, the first book that was put out in the New Testament. Maybe not in our chronological order, but in reality, this was the first book. Also, time that with what's going on with the church. They were finally getting dispersed. Okay, into the world. They were heading out into the world like they were supposed to do. Now, they were supposed to get out there into the world and make professional pew sitters. Make people who give mental assent to God. No, disciples, disciplined learners. So you're supposed to go out into the world, not just live in there. You're supposed to be a witness. Now, the problem is, uh, what the enemy, he has a plan. And his plan is to infiltrate the church. And if you read the New Testament, Paul's already dealing with it. John's already dealing with it. The Gnostics and other false teachers coming into the church trying to mess things up. He couldn't stop Jesus saving us from our sins by going to the cross for us. Okay, so now he tries to mess up the church. So the church is finally getting out into the world. So Satan wants to flood the church with phony believers. Why? Because when they're out there in the world saying with their mouth they're a Christian, they're going to give the lost a false uh, impression of Jesus and a false gospel. So James writes this book, the first book in the New Testament, to counteract that. Okay? So you can know, are you passing the test? Are you really a true born-again Christian? And we've already seen uh, three of those. Okay, and the first one is, how do you handle your trials? That's going to tell whether or not you are a Christian. As we saw there, the scripture talks about if you walk away from Jesus and say, that's it, I, I, I was a Christian, and but I just got mad at God, and I'm now an atheist, and blah, blah, blah. I, I didn't say it. John said it. He says, the reason why you went out from us is because you never belonged to us. If you would have belonged to us, you would have remained with us, but you're going to show that you never belonged to us. You were fake the whole time. 
time. You might have fooled the pastor. You might have fooled the people sitting in the pew next to you, but you can't fool God. Okay, God keeps his own. You're not going to turn into an atheist, okay, if you really were a born-again Christian. I didn't say that God did. Trials bring that out, okay? So how you handle trials is an indicator, are you dealing with a Christian or not? The second one we saw there in the context was temptation, all right, how do you handle temptation? And kind of what is your attitude towards sin? And what you would expect from a true born-again Christian is you own up to your sin. And that's why James says, don't be blaming your sin on little other people, let alone God. Let no one say, God has tempted me. It's your fault, God. Whoa. First of all, that's giving a bad impression of salvation, that sin is not important, that you don't need to own up to sin. And yet, if a person is going to become a true born-again Christian, what's the first thing you've got to deal with? Sin. You've got to own up that I have sinned. I have fallen short of God's glory. I'm deserving of hell. I am disqualified for heaven. And so if we in the church never talk about sin, never preach on sin, or if sin comes up, we're just, we can excuse it away like it's no big deal. What kind of gospel are people getting? It's called a false one. The second one we saw, the amazing thing in the context there, is that the issue is, uh, it also, God wants us to be a kind of first fruits. And as we saw there, it's like a movie preview of the world that is coming, the new heavens and the new earth, that's a world without sin. So God wants us to be those walking movie advertisements, okay, that, who, who, that listen, this really is where we're headed, to a place beyond our wildest dreams without sin. Okay, that's what you'd expect. Now, the last couple of times what we'll be dealing with is how do you handle God's word? Okay, and that's the context again that he's saying there. My dear brothers, take note of this. Verse 19, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Okay, the key uh, phrase there is in verse 22 when he says, listen, he says, don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. The context he's talking about of, of, of uh, uh, being quick to hear, slow to speak, and again today, slow to become angry is in response to the word of God. And that's what we saw. We saw that James says it's not just in listening to God's word, it's in keeping it. And he starts to break it down. What can you expect from a true born-again Christian in response to God's word? And the first one he says there is you're going to be, okay, a tacus uh, Christian. Huh? Isn't that a neat Greek word we saw there? And it means quick, speedy, fast. And, and the impression in the Greek there is a true born-again Christian can't wait to get to the sermon. They can't wait to get to Sunday school. They can't wait every morning on their own initiative to crack open the Bible. That's, that's the normal thing you would expect from a true born-again Christian. They just can't wait to get it. They're eager beaver listener to the Word of God. The second thing was a good sponge of God's Word. And that's what we saw last there uh, with the, the radus. Lelo. How many guys went out and bought one of those it's a fancy Italian cars? Ooh, I got to drive a Bradus Lelo. Yeah, whatever. Uh, wait till you hear the one from Sunday Sermon uh, here in a little bit. But anyway, that's right. I think it's an, it sounds like an Italian ice cream. But anyway, I digress. Bradus Lelo uh, means this person is not just listening to God's word. Okay, as we saw there, this pers- uh, person is eagerly, I'd even throw in the word joyfully, submitting to God's word. They're just a sponge. They're teachable. They're just soaking it up. It's what he's talking about there. They're being a good sponge. Hey, man, God, I'm not just eager to get here. I'm not just eager to listen to your word. I'm just soaking this up. Oh, this is awesome. This is great. I don't care what it says. Even if it convicts me, I want it, God. I'm just soaking this up. That's what you'd expect from a Christian. Now we get to the next one, okay? And that is this. He is a good follower, of God's word. Now this is really cool. I don't know if you can see it. I'm starting to write kind of low. I'll put it up here. Uh, this is the Greek word there. It says, everyone, listen, if you're truly born again, I believe in the context, should be quick to listen to God's word. You should be slow to speak to God's word. Be that sponge. And here it is. And slow to become what? Angry. That's your two Greek words. You got bradus again, slow. Okay. But angry, this word here that's used there, you got bradus, you got orge. Okay. It's used there. Okay, and this is actually the same uh, Greek word that's used to speak of God's wrath. Okay, this isn't just like an, oh, I got upset. This is like, oh, it's like a a violent anger, wrath. Because, you know, the scripture is very clear. When God pours out his wrath on this planet, you don't want to be there. Jesus clearly says it's going to be the worst time in the history of mankind. You don't want to be there. Okay, it is God saying, listen, I mean, he's not silly as the skeptic would say. He's not just sitting idly by, letting all this evil go uh, unnoticed and whatever, and he doesn't care, he's too busy taking a vacation, and he's disinterested. No! 
The reason why Peter says he's slow isn't because he doesn't care. It's because he's merciful at the same time and he's giving people a chance to repent because he's not willing that anybody should perish. But guess what? Boom! Judgment Day is coming. And when it comes, all that's been, as we've been seeing in Romans chapter 1, they're storing up the wrath of God. And so here it comes. In fact, what's really wild is when you get to the bold judgments, it's really, let's talk about the Greek, you'll Greek out on this, Bobby. Uh, the, it's, it's the bold judgments. Now, when we think of a bowl, we think of that nifty um, Tupperware bowl, that big old giant thing that you make that popcorn in. Anybody ever do popcorn? Bobby learned this when he was at our house. You can't just do popcorn. You got to do popcorn in this big old giant manly bowl. This bowl that you could probably put the whole family in and float down uh, Lake Mead in. But <laughs> the word that's used there in the Greek for the bowl judgments of God, it, it's not like a bowl like this with a big uh, uh, rim on that. And you can hold a lot of stuff. So when God pours out his bowl, no. It's actually just a, a little, it's, a, it's kind of a, a wide bowl like this, but it's just, it's only like yay high. And so, so, I mean, you can carry a lot of water in a big popcorn Tupperware bowl, right? Well, this one is like, you can put whatever you got in there, but it's just like, don't even, don't even jiggle a little bit because it's going all over the place, right? Believe it or not, the picture that that gives is when God pours out his wrath, it's just as soon as it barely starts to tip, the whole thing's going. All that from one just little Greek word. Because God's wrath is just, that's it. I have not been sitting idly by. I've been watching everything and everything that people think that they're getting away with, God sees it all. And he's not pleased. This is the word that's used here in response to God's word of a true born again Christian, how you would expect to them. Now, they were quick to listen. Can't wait to hear it. Woohoo! I, I, I'm a, a, a sponge. I can't wait to receive it. I don't care what it is. God's way is the best way. I want it all. And now, this person, and this is common sense, this person is Bradus uh, Orge. I, I am slow to blah, have that kind of attitude towards God's word. And we would probably look at this one as Christians and go, well, of course, that's a common thing you would expect of Christians. They're not going to sit there and go, and get all mad at God's word. Well, you need to come to my office sometime. And I'll just use this. I'm not saying necessarily Christians. I don't know the heart. And it could be. The common thread to this whole thing is, I don't know the heart. Okay? You're either dealing with people that they're guilty of some of these things. Then it's a Christian who's backsliding and that's not good. That's not healthy for you. Or you can say all you want you're a Christian and you're a fake. And you need to submit to this. Humble yourself and get... I've got to keep reminding the cross is over here now. Uh, and reminding uh, us that you need to submit to Jesus Christ. Okay? But either way, it's not good, okay? And, and you would think that a Christian would sit there and just, uh, 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 yeah, just soak it up, whatever it is. But I have got Christians that, listen, they don't, uh, people who say they're Christians, I'll just say that, because I don't know the heart. They say they're Christians, but they don't want to listen to God's word. They don't soak up God's word. And then when you share God's word with them, as we've been seeing in our Sunday service uh, with the Bible study, Renewing Your Faith, we're in part two today. Name one command in here that's bad for us. None, they're all for our good. And so then they'll even reject that and then they'll actually get mad at me for telling them, here's what God says to get out of this mess, which is for your good. I always had Dr. Couch in seminary, he says, listen, you need to, don't take the heat on your shoulder, pastor, because when you preach the truth, whether in counseling or from the pulpit, and people balk at it and bleh, their problem isn't with you. They're taking it out on you but really what they're saying is, I can't stand God's word. Whoa. And again, you would think that, man, no Christian would do that. Well, I, I would say you're right. I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect that. You know, if you start backsliding before maybe you respond, okay. But again, how far, how far can you push it is the theme, remember? How far can you push it? And I can't stand God's word. I, can't, I don't want to hear it. I'm not a sponge. I'm not soaking it up. I, I don't want to listen to this. Who gives a rip about it? Oh, by the way, when you preach it at me, I get mad. I mean, mad. I don't know, but is that a place you want to mess with? One guy says this. He says, slow to wrath. He says, this means a deep-seated resentment. Okay? It, it means rebellion. It means rejection. It refers to a disposition. Again, what's the context? God's word. Hostility. The context is hearing the word of truth. And this implies that there are some people who get hostile against the word. They don't like what they hear. When the truth is presented, they don't want to hear it. Okay? And again, you come to my office, folks. I'm telling you, I don't know how many times this happens. First of all, before you even get into my office for counseling, I will tell you two studies. 
inherently, whether I pastored on the uh, California, New York, now in Vegas, I don't care where I'm at. Historically, the two things that I've preached on that I've got the most for, oh, by the way, they're both in the Bible. <laughs> what a concept. <laughs> Is when I start preaching on creation, the Genesis account, and usually the most flack I've gotten over the years is from teachers. You know what my theory is? Now you're getting convicted. Because Jesus said, if you put a stumbling block before one of these little ones, it'd be better for you to have a millstone around your neck. And can I tell you something? Evolution is a stumbling block to these little ones. And how dare you as a Christian? I'm sorry. How dare you? Hey, listen, get a different job then. Pick peaches, change tires, do something. Don't lie to kids. Especially when it comes to about Jesus. So creation and, of course, Bible prophecy. Okay, those two things, man, you'd think... I mean, oh, oh let, me, let me say it again. Uh, they're in the Bible. <laughs> why, do you, why do I teach on them? Why have I taught on them? Because they're in the Bible. And I'm charged by God to teach you the Bible. Not some of the Bible, all the Bible. Right? So we'll talk about Genesis because that's the first book of the Bible. We'll talk about Bible prophecy because that's the last book of the Bible. But there's other ones too, okay? Much of the Bible deals with uh, Bible prophecy. First coming, second coming. So how are you going to equip the church if you never touch it, right? But, but what is the response of people today? And again, how far can you push that attitude? I mean, honestly, this might sound kind of... And please, I hope this doesn't come across as being arrogant or anything... Sometimes it would be refreshing if somebody would come up, hey, Pastor Billy, I just, I'm so mad. I'm just, I can't, man, you were preaching heresy from the pulpit. And, hey, that would be refreshing. But that's typically not what it is. I don't want to hear that. How dare you? Isn't there something else that we could talk about? It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Where did I talk about that was out of this? Your problem is directed at me and you're taking it out on me. You're orgay. It's really with God. Man, you would think a Christian, you'd be excited to learn about the Genesis account and we could trust God's word from page one, verse one forward. Woo, right? Isn't that exciting? And you'd, be, you'd think you'd be excited, like the Bible says, a triple blessing for those who study and hear and take words, the Bible prophecy and the news that Jesus Christ is coming back to get us. And if you love him, you're excited about that. You would think that. And so again, how far can you push it? I would say James is saying, and still be a Christian. I don't know. But I want to give you just kind of a dichotomy of just how far we've fallen, okay, as a nation. Uh, believe it or not, the Bible used to have a little bit more of a centerpiece uh, in our country, okay? Uh, I'm not saying that all of our founding fathers and people were born again Christians. Well, of course not. Uh, you can do the research on that. But in general, I think much of the populace uh, had at least a, a much better attitude when it came towards the Scripture, Oh, let me give you a couple quotes. Uh, Abraham Lincoln said, I believe the Bible is the best gift that God's ever given to man. All the good from the Savior of the world is communicated to us through this book. W.E. Gladstone says, I've known 95 of the world's greatest men in my time, and 87 of these were followers of the Bible. George Washington said, it's impossible to rightly govern the world without God and the Bible. Daniel Webster, Webster's Dictionary, right? And uh, i got to share this one. <laughs> I, I, this is... Fresh bread. I came across this. And it was a guy, was just like saying, you know, how did, Daniel Webster, as we know, he's the guy that invented, if you will, the dictionary. Right? And one person was saying, I think I know how, uh, what was the impetus for um, him coming out with the dictionary? And it's because he and his wife used to get in these disagreements and she'd always come back to him and say, and what's that supposed to mean? <laughs> anyway, that's not really how it came about, if you do the research, but that was funny. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, uh, so, but anyway, Daniel Webster, did you know in the first dictionaries, he used to have his testimony of how he came to Christ? And they had Bible verses in the first dictionaries to support these definitions. He said this, he said, if there's anything in my thoughts or style to commend, the credit is due my parents for instilling in me an early love of the scriptures. If we abide by the principles taught in the Bible, our country will go on prospering and to prosper. But, if we in our posterity neglect its instructions and authority, no man can tell how sudden a catastrophe can overwhelm us and bury us in all of our profound obscurity. Wow. 
Sounds like that's what's happening. John Ruskin said, whatever merit there is in anything that I've written is simply due to the fact that when I was a child, my mother daily read me a part of the Bible and daily made me learn a part of it by heart every day. W.E. Seward said, the whole hope of human progress is suspended on the ever-growing influence of the Bible. Patrick Henry said, the Bible is worth all other books which have ever been printed. Horace Greeley said, it is impossible, listen, to enslave mentally or socially a Bible-reading people. The principles of the Bible are the groundwork for human freedom. Andrew Jackson said, that book, sir, is the rock on which our republic rests. And Robert E. Lee said, in all my perplexities and distresses, the Bible has never failed to give me light and strength. Okay? As the story goes, uh, a gentleman came over here, a Frenchman named uh, Alexis uh, de Tocqueville, came to America in 1830, I believe, and uh, he came over here to find out, how does this country been able to take on these great powers and whoop them? Uh, how does this country uh, seeming to prosper? Uh, how do these colonists do this? What was the secret to their success? He came over here and here's what he wrote. He said, I sought for the greatness and the genius of America in her commodious harbors and her ample rivers, and it was not there. I, I sought for it in her fertile fields and boundless prairies, but it was not there. I looked for it in her rich mines and her vast world commerce, and it was not there. Listen, he said, not until I went into the churches of America and heard the pulpits aflame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and power. And he warned this. He said, America is good, okay, uh, is great because America is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. Can I tell you something? That's what's happening to us. We've lost the secret to our power. It's right here. Now, if you don't believe me, I don't have time to go into it, uh, but you can check it out. Nehemiah, I just came across this uh, a few weeks ago in my devotion time in the morning. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 25, 26, 9, uh, or 29, and 30. And I listed there in that context all the reasons why. Nehemiah is counting there uh, why they went into captivity. Of course, they come out, now they're trying to build the temple again, right? But why did God send them into captivity in the first place? And I, I, I wrote them all down. Listen, you can read it to yourself later. Here's what they did. Here's why God says, that's it, I've had it. You're going into captivity, right? They rebelled against God. They put his law behind their backs. They killed his prophets who were sent to turn them back to God. They committed awful blasphemies. They became arrogant. They disobeyed God's commands. They sinned against his ordinances. They turned their backs on God, period. They became stiff-necked. They refused to listen. And they paid no attention to God's prophets. He said, that's it. You're going into captivity. Does that sound familiar? Can I tell you something? Does that sound familiar in the church today? So as James would say, how far can you push it? And really act like this towards God's word and somehow still be a Christian. Do you really want to flirt with that? Because we saw Matthew 7, 7 is the ultimate rude awakening. Lord, Lord, didn't I? I mean, I was in church. I was right there. Away from me, you evildoers. I never knew you. You were fake. You failed the test. Okay. In fact, just to show you how bad it's gotten, uh, people not only reject this uh, in counseling, they not only reject it in the church, we've fallen big time as a country, but I want to tell you just how wrathful, and I really think this is where we're at. People aren't just disagreeing with the Scripture anymore. Have you noticed this? People are absolutely wrathful towards the Scripture. Okay? Uh, turn to your Bibles, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Okay? Real quick there. Another sign that we're dealing uh, with last day's behavior. Okay. Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. And then I'm just going to quote something that Paul talks about and put them, put them together. And again, I think this is where we're at, unfortunately, as a nation. Second uh, Timothy chapter 3. When you get there, say moo. Moo, that's a beautiful sound. Wakes you up every time, doesn't it, Carol? Thank you. All right, uh, here we go. Verse 3, uh, uh, chapter 3, verse 1. But mark this, there's going to be great times in the last days. You're going to be partying with your buddies. The economy's going to go through the roof. Your retirement plan's coming through. Oh, I'm sorry, wrong translation, Bobby. What'd you do to me? Is this that purple cover that Barney... Went? No, all right. No, uh, but mark, there's going to be terrible times, man. You don't want to be there. And listen to this society how, in the last days. People will become lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of who? Lovers rather than God. Have in a form of godliness, in other words, fake. Looks like it on the outside. They dress like it, sound like it. Having a form of godliness, but what? 
denying its power, have nothing to do with them. And then just to quote there, Paul talks about the reason why the wrath, the orgy of God's being revealed from heaven in Romans chapter 1. He says, because at this point, uh, women exchange natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, men abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves due penalty for their perversion. They had become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice they are gossip slanders and god haters now if you're going to actually become a society who hates god then that means logically you're probably going to also hate his word folks i'm telling you this is where we're at we are in high gear with these uh, uh, final day signs here this is why the wrath of god is getting ready to be poured out okay and i want to give you some examples again people aren't just disagreeing with scripture anymore we're not just in a uh post-Judeo-Christian society. We've moved into stage three. We're into the anti-Judeo-Christian society. And people don't want to hear God's word and they are vehemently against it. It's exactly what James said that you can expect of the non-Christian. Let me give you some examples. Right now, schools are teaching that religion is a disease and others are saying that the Bible is a work of fiction. It gets worse. Lawyers are asking that the Bible be placed on the list of books considered dangerous for children. That's orgay. Uh, uh, Gideon Bibles are starting to be removed from hotels. Get them out of here. Also from the military. People are now offering pornography for Bibles. Uh, a group at a college campus is offering free pornography to anyone who is willing to give up their Bibles. So give me your Bible, I'll give you some pornography. And, and the, uh, the university says the group hasn't broken any rules and should be allowed to exercise this right. Try that with uh, the Quran. What would happen? Right? Okay, listen to this one. A publicly funded exhibition encouraged people to deface the Bible in the name of art. Visitors have responded with abuse and obscenity, okay, with comments such as, this is all sexist blank, so disregard it all. Another one wrote on the first page of Genesis, I am bi, female, and proud. I want no God who is disappointed in this. So that, that was a publicly funded, we paid for this, exhibition that encouraged people to come. This is your work of art. Come here and deface the Bible. See, way beyond just disagreeing with it, way beyond I just don't want to listen to it, it's now, oh. Can I tell you what the next stage is going to be? We're not done yet. You and I who stand on the word of God, that anger is going to be vented towards us. That's when we're going to see the persecution really heat up here uh, in America. But we're already at this level, okay? And this one I just got from Paul uh, this week. He emailed this, and this is an article. Uh, Homosexuals throw human excrement at Christians and wipe their behinds with pages of the Bible. Now this is graphic, okay? And I'm obviously trying to clean up a little bit. Uh, but... Uh, uh, but this is hot off the press. But again, why am I bringing this up? Because it's not just people disagree with the Bible. They are wrathful towards it. Uh, when up to a thousand conservative Christian parents in Germany were protesting against a new pro-homosexual sexual diversity curriculum in their schools, homosexuals charged at them, the Christians, and threw human excrement at the Christians. They also ripped uh, pages of the Bible, wiped their behinds with the pages, crumbled them up, and threw them at the Christians. According to the Observatory of, on Intolerance and Discrimination Against Christians, they were also spit at, eggs were thrown, cables of loudspeakers were torn out, items were destroyed, and they were targeted with pepper spray. The police, instead of bringing order, came and took the side of the homosexuals, telling the Christian protesters to leave. Wow. I'd say it's heating up. Right? And again, as we saw before in the final countdown study, it's getting so mad. You see, because again, you got some of these people, I would say, who would say that they're Christians. You got some of these people who would react to the preaching of the scripture, even on these kind of issues, and say, well, I'm a Christian. And then they would take a look at the Bible, and they say, well, the Bible doesn't preach against that. Or that's not what I get from the Bible. Or that's not how I interpret the Bible. So in essence, what are they really doing? They're rewriting the Bible. Right? No, the Bible does preach against this, and the Bible does say it's wrong. But if you preach it correctly, you get wrath now. But, but see, you've got a game that's going on. You've got people who are filling the pews. You've got people who are professing to know Jesus Christ, but they don't want to hear what the Bible has to say. And, but yet you're still coming to church services, so what do you do? 
I mean, one of the basic things that you expect to get at a church service is somebody's got to get up here in front of this pulpit thing and do what? Preach something. Key word there, something. Right? But, at least somewhere in your facility, you've got to have a copy of what? A Bible. But what if they were to accidentally come across the passages that speak out against this stuff? That's why they're rewriting the Bible. I'll just quote with you a couple examples that I gave you before in the final countdown today. The politically correct version, believe it or not, is uh, Oxford University Press. And he, let me give you some examples of how they're literally now rewriting the Bible. This is where we're at, guys. It's not just they disagree, they're wrathful towards it. Okay, and now they're rewriting it. Uh, in the majestic opening of John's Gospel, where it says the glory he has from the Father as the only son of the Father, now becomes the glory as of a parent's only child. Well, why would you do that? Well, we got all these single moms out there, and what if a kid's growing up doesn't have a dad, or an absent dad, or doesn't know who his dad is, and that, that, that might hurt their self-esteem. The Lord's Prayer now begins like this. Father, Mother, hallowed be your name. May your dominion come. Well, why would you do that? Well, because it fits everything. What if a kid didn't have a mother and you, you know, or, or didn't have a father? Okay. Or maybe it's a sexist thing. You know, why are you always preferring men? You got to put the ladies in there too. Right? That's rewrite. Jesus' own self-understanding as God's only son is now generalized to no one knows the child except the father-mother and no one knows the father-mother except the child. No, it's father and son. I mean, another example. Avoiding another traditional phrase, the son of man, right? How many times does that appear in the scripture? Uh, now the new text reads, then they will see the human one coming in clouds with great power and glory. You know, because you don't want to give preference to men again. You know, This is exactly what he's talking This is bradus or gay. This isn't just disagreeing. You're wrathful against it. You can't stand it. You don't want to hear it. You actually will do excrement on it, throw it, stuff like that, and now you're rewriting it. Because see, that's the game that you play. Still go to a church service. You got to have somebody doing something up here. There's got to be a copy of something around the pews. Now they're gutting it. Let me give you another one. The feminist version. Uh, this is uh, uh, the publisher, LBI uh, Institute. They've changed the prodigal son into the prodigal daughter. They've changed the Lord's Prayer into the Lady's Prayer. Okay, Luke chapter 2, the verse now reads, And Joseph went to Bethlehem to be enrolled with Mary, his wife, who was then pregnant, and she brought forth her firstborn child, and her name was chosen to be Judith. The passage on the crucifixion in John 19, we're getting ready to celebrate next week, Lord willing, and she, bearing her cross, went forth, and there they crucified Judith. Matthew 28 now states, Mary Magdalene, the other woman, came to see the tomb, and the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Judith, who was crucified. She is not here, and she is risen. Almost makes me want to brush my tongue with the... Got a toothbrush on your bum? Something? Sandpaper? <laughs> Can you believe that? Now, what if you actually... Now, that's not just bringing it into the modern vernacular. That's completely changing the text. What if you did that with some other book? How would that fly? Why is it just the Bible? Right? A couple more examples. The postmodern version. Uh, this one, uh, again, is pro-evolution. And so they say that Jesus was not born of a virgin. He was born of a gorilla. Now that's just... Yeah. You've got to be kidding me. Well, because we all came from apes. Don't you know your evolution? Are you guys brainwashed with creation studies? Anyway, excuse me? <laughs> and of course, where you get a lot of this wrath from is the new gay uh, Bible that uh, guy's promoting. The gay version says this. Uh, the uh, gay Old and the gay New Testament, which says gay is right and straight uh, or heterosexual is a sin. Uh, Adam gets the heave-ho and he's replaced with Ida. Quote, and the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on Ida and she slept. And he took one of her ribs. And closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord had taken from the woman made he another woman and brought her unto the first. And Ida said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And shall, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of me. Therefore, uh, shall a woman leave her mother and shall cleave unto her wife and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the woman and her wife, and they were not ashamed. Max Mitchell, he's described his work as, quote, divinely inspired. 
And he says that Jesus was gay, and in biblical times, homosexual relationships were so commonplace that no one gave it a second thought. Are you kidding me? It was heterosexuality, he says, that was considered sinful. And listen to this. This, this is, what, this is how, where the wrath is leading to. And one participant said of this new version, quote, finally, a version of the Bible that everyone could relate to. Where's the submission to this? Where's it like, I don't care what you say, God. I acknowledge this is from you, man. I'm excited to listen. I can't wait to get to listen to this. And whatever it says, good, bad, or ugly, even if it convicts me, I know it's for my good. I'm a sponge. I'm soaking it up. And I with gladness, oh, I received this. And whatever you say, God, I submit to it. There's none of that there. Okay? Now, see, the sad thing is this. Your wrath is being taken out on God's word. And you keep that up. The scripture says you're storing up wrath. You're going to reap what you sow, wrath for wrath. Okay, instead of submitting to it. Okay, everyone who is truly born again should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. In other words, I'm telling you guys, as basic as this sounds, this, I I can't, man, I didn't give you examples in counseling. In counseling, I get with people. Okay, never at sunrise. It was that church far away in a land million miles away from here. Where I passed her back when I was three years old. No, <laughs> yeah, whatever. But in various in counseling, uh, I mean, I, I share with people. Okay, well, okay, yeah. Here's what the here's what the Bible says, and and the good news is, you know, God says this, and they just get mad at me. I've had people. This, with all due credit, was not here. This was back in New York. Uh, I actually had this couple come to me, and make no bones about it. Wanted me to marry them, and one was a Christian. Because first of all, I don't take anything, you know, say, I don't say yes to anything. It's come into my office, we'll talk, because I'm grilling you, right? Because I can marry two Christians, and I can marry two non-Christians, but I can't marry a Christian and a non-Christian, okay? And so they came into my office, and the ones I'm grilling the girl, uh, it seems like, at least what she was professing with me, um, that she was a born-again Christian. The other guy, he, made no, he wasn't even trying to fool, because sometimes you're thinking they're trying to fool you. Hey, you better say you're a Christian, Pastor Billy won't, you know. Uh, he was, he'd make no, no, I'm just really not, you know, convinced. You know, I don't have a problem with it, and that's what she wants to do, whatever. And I'm looking at her going like, how dare you? you? You don't know me by now? How could you get so far to even come into my office and actually expect me to marry you when you're asking me to marry you to a non-Christian when the scripture says, don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever? I mean, that's basic. And so what they did was they submitted to that and says, oh, wow, thank you, Pastor Billy, for telling me what God's word has to say, because that's a great thing. And I want to do, I want God's blessing on my life. And I want to do. Nope. Then the parents got involved. How dare you? <laughs> what Bible are you reading from? You're asking me to say it. I can, what? I mean, it's sad you want to go down that route. But what are you doing? Right? I can't do that. Uh, the big hot topic I'm telling you, man, is, is with people cohabitating. That's just, man, how many times do you do with that? And you think, well, people would, uh, I remember this, again, back in New York, there's one couple, and it says, well, uh, we have to because uh, uh, we, uh, you know, we, we bought a house together. And so we're just kind of stuck. I said, oh, here, here's the deal. How about you go ahead and get married. And if you want to uh, wait, uh, then all you got to do is one of you needs to find another place to live. Okay, and do it right. Do it God's way. Repent of what you're doing, first of all. Do it God's way. And then don't come back together. I'm not saying you have to, you know, uh, break the lease or whatever, the mortgage. Uh, but just do it God's way. Own up to it and then do it God's way, right? And, uh, or just go out right now today and go to the justice of peace if you can't put it together and get it done and do it God's way. God's way is the best way. Are you mean to tell me that God is so inept that he has to allow you to sin in order for your needs to be met? Because that's what you're saying. No, do it God's way, right? And so they also left my office uh, kicking like cows out of a stall. Yay! Hey, that was great advice. Now we can have God's blessing upon our life. No. How dare you? Who do you think you are? Who are you to tell me what to do? What are you, some leak? Whoa. And again, how far? What James says here is how far can you go and be bradus orge now against the word of God, wrathful against it? Oh, I don't want to tell you how dare you? Who do you? T- How far can you go with that and still be a Christian? I don't know. But again, do you want to risk what could be the problem? Maybe the reason why you hate the Word of God is because you don't belong to God. Because if you belong to God, 
If you love me, Jesus says, you keep my commandments. You want to because you love them, right? One guy says this, we'll close with this. He says, saving faith is the desperate thrust of a helpless soul upon the arms of the almighty Savior. Are you doing what Jesus said, who speaks the words of the Father? Are you doing what he says? Seek first the kingdom of God. Are you taking every step necessary to stop feeding your lust? In God's name, why, 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 why will you sit through another service and stand by a signpost that points you away from hell and the wrath of God and points you to heaven and a life of forgiveness and hug death to your breath? Oh, the madness of it all. You are a vile, filthy, helpless, hell-deserving son and daughter of Adam. You know nothing of true repentance and therefore nothing of true saving faith. Or do you just occasionally have a little whimper in the closet when your conscience gets so active that you can't live with it and you whimper and cry and ask God for a little help and then you go right back with your hand and your eyeball firmly attached. Oh yes, once in a while you take a dull paring knife and you scratch your hand and occasionally you scratch around your eyeballs but you haven't begun to cut off and pluck out. He says, you better listen to the words of Jesus. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. If ye live by the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the flesh, ye shall live. If you live after the flesh, you will die. He said, the cross does not give us a minor shift or two with regard to a few of our ethical and moral or religious values. The cross radically disrupts the very center and citadel of your life from self to Christ. And if the cross has not done that you are not a christian he says my friend face it young rogue you're not a christian until the cross has radically disrupted the very sensible uh, citadel of your life and brought you from a life of commitment to serve self whether it's religious self or moral self or proud self or covetous self or lustful self or prideful self unforgiving self or lazy self it doesn't matter what are the focal points of the reign of yourself if you've gone to the cross and union to christ self is shattered He said, I want you in that day when you stand with me before the judge of the world to have him say, come ye blessed. I don't want to look there at you standing there saying, Lord, Lord, I named you in the earth. I named you before the elders. I named you before the church. I named you in a prayer meeting. I named you before witness. And now, Lord, Lord, didn't I do this? Didn't I do that? I don't want him to hear him say, depart from me. I never knew you, you worker of iniquity. You were never, what's the context of James? You were never made a doer. Of the will of God. You didn't want to do it. You didn't want to hear it. You didn't want to soak it up. And then when somebody shared it with you. He said you learned enough. And you learned what to say properly enough. You know the Christianese. To be accepted for what you professed yourself to be on earth. But now the day of judgment has come. And the truth is now to be known. Or James says. You didn't want God's truth? You didn't want to listen to it? You demanded only fluff? You only hired people who would only preach fluff? You weren't soaking up God's word? You didn't want to be a sponge? And you not only refused to submit to it, but you absolutely abhorred it. And now payday has come. You reap what you sow, wrath for wrath. Do you think it's by chance here in verse 19, we took a look at these three characteristics, that before he got into the three characteristics, James says this phrase, he says, take note of this. This is very important. Do not be deceived. Because if you're failing these three tests here, it ain't looking good. I don't know the heart. God does. You're either a backsliding Christian and that's not good for you or you're fake and you're headed for that horrible reality. How you handle God's word today, James says very well, could be a spiritual indicator of your future to come. No wonder he said, take note of this. Serious stuff. Don't play around with this one. Okay, Lord willing, next time we're going to get to the fourth indicator. And you're not just going to be a good takus, a quick listener. You're not only going to be a good sponge. You're only going to be a good follower as we saw today. But listen, he's going to say you are going to become a good channeler. Okay, no, that's not the new agey term. Of a good channeler of God's word. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Go ahead and post it on Facebook. We're moving on to a new verse next week, Lord willing. Unless the rapture occurs. You'll get a better translation up in heaven. Uh, For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, 
get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. The idea is this. You're not just listening. You're not just listening to this. You're not just soaking it up. You're not just submitting to it gladly. Listen, you will do anything you got to get out of your life so it doesn't prohibit the word of God being manifested through you. You're getting rid of any stumbling block is the word. You're an open channel to be that walking advertisement for God. That's what you would expect from a true born again Christian. Amen. The Lord will get to that next week. Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries. And I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness, or the wrong things that we have done, have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin, or unholiness, uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, Let's take a a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, The Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay? How many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, We've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay? Well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, It could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, That means that we're a thief. Okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved. Jesus Christ has now become a cuss word. Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay, and folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the heart, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, You're going to have to stand before God and you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, That whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn, we we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it, and a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place, that's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins, 
and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, The Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, In life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, The courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, They are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, As they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, There's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it and they can't earn it. If he would grant them what's called a pardon, Out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day, that you're still alive. God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, Our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, Thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.